Hello, hello. This is Kathy Colas Audiobooks, and today we have episode 15 of Bird in Hand by Nikki Stern. Sam and Weller meet with Jackie Templeton's panicked assistant, Evan Carr, and learns neither his boss nor his co-worker has shown up. The DNA report from the crime scene contains some surprises. So does a deeper dive into Jackie Templeton's background. Here we go. Evan Carr was waiting for them at the door of JT Galleries, phone in hand. He was slight, his posture already in decline, his shoulders rolled forward. Too much screen time and too many years trying to grow under the weight of a backpack, Sam decided. Dark brown hair had been combed straight back, emphasizing a high forehead and warm brown eyes, round and filled with concern. He looked both young and vulnerable. Come in, please. Do you want any coffee or tea? We're fine, Mr. Carr, Weller asked before Sam could accept. Call me Evan, please. Did you want to sit down? He gestured at a small bench at the far corner of the foyer. Thank you, no, Sam answered. I figure you want to talk with JT. The thing is, she's not in. Were you expecting her? Evan frowned. Honestly, I was. She likes to be back in St. Michael's Sunday night so she can get a jump on the paperwork. At least that's how her schedule has worked for the last eight weeks. What kind of paperwork? Sam asked. What? Oh, things like inventory, sales. We sold a couple of pieces after the opening. She's commissioned some new work and... She's not completely up to date on insurance. I didn't think that was a good thing, but she said not to worry. In fact, that was something she was going to handle today. Insurance on the paintings or the building? Weller asked. I I can't say. She's really professional, so maybe it was just one item she hadn't insured, or maybe she wanted to update the policy. Weller nodded. Bird in hand. Yeah, maybe. Probably. His eyes darted between Sam and Weller, then went down to his phone and back up again. You seem anxious, Evan, Sam observed. Are you waiting to hear from someone? Amy. She was supposed to be in at 9.30, which was like an hour and a half ago. She's never late. And JT, Miss Templeton, isn't answering her texts, which is weird. How long have you worked for JT? Waller asked. He used a gentle tone Sam hadn't heard before. Since the beginning of October, plus four weeks last winter as an intern at her DC shop, you could say my parents provided an inn. They dropped a fair amount of cash in her store. I'm an art major, though, and when she invited me to work here for money, not that it pays much, I said, yes, absolutely. I help with inventory, some event planning. I guess you'd say my job is evolving. Eyes down again, he shook his head, put his phone in his pocket, cleared his throat. Please, tell me what's going on. Sam told him about finding the blue Mercedes and tracing it back to JT. She tiptoed around the details, but Evan was ahead of them. 
I heard it on the news. Nothing about who the car belonged to, just that the driver was charred. He swallowed. Was it JT? We're waiting for DNA results, Weller said. Jesus, the young man put a hand to his head. When he looked up, his face was pale and wet. Sorry, it's just kind of a shock. Of course, Sam said. Do you need a moment? I'm okay, he squared his shoulders. Does JT have family, perhaps a close relative or a friend we can contact? I don't know anything about her family or her friends, only that she had plenty of those. She's a widow, married a guy a lot older, and inherited a lot of money when he died. Maybe he had a family? Carr sounded doubtful. We can look into all of that, Weller cut in. What about clients? Who bought her stuff? She had returning customers who came through her Georgetown store. Then there were all her high-end real estate clients, people from all over the world. There's a list we used to invite people to the opening here. I think it's in her office. Amy would know. She's more the client side. He looked as if he might burst into tears. Sam put a light hand on his arm. Maybe we can head upstairs, take a quick look around. Would that be okay? Sure. Do you mind? He held up his phone. Well, I want to send Amy another text. Of course. While the assistant typed into his phone, Sam glanced over at Weller. He bobbed his head. What's Amy's last name? She asked. Reed, Evan answered without looking up. And where does she live? Annapolis. He stuck his phone in his pocket. She loves it. Likes the reverse commute. She moved there after graduating from MICA. Maryland Institute College of Art, Weller added helpfully. It's in Baltimore. Good school. Did she spend the holiday in Annapolis, Evan? Sam asked. I think so. Her parents live in Raleigh. She says it's a hassle to fly on Thanksgiving. She has plans to go at Christmas. Also, she likes to be on call for JT. Sam nodded to herself. You expected her back this morning. I already told you that. Evan's voice edged up a notch. Why are you asking about Amy? We ask a lot of questions, Evan. Comes with the job. Let's head upstairs. Upstairs consisted of two rooms. The smaller area had been cleverly arranged to maximize space and accommodate two desks and chairs. A contented ficus plant lounged in one corner. The desks were neat, each with a set of stacking trays. Bookshelves hung against the wall. The assistants had personalized their spaces. Evan Carr had an iPad, a laptop, a beer mug, and a scrolling digital picture frame with images of smiling people enveloping each other in bear hugs. Amy Reed's photographs were displayed in simple frames, a family of redheads, a shot of a group of girls laughing, an image of her with JT at a dressy function, a coffee cup with the words, Art Fuel, sat alone to one side. Her tray held a single folder marked Opening, 
and a handwritten reminder pinned to the front to send personal notes from JT. No laptop. JT's office was stylish and orderly. A comfortable chair, a small bookshelf, an evocative painting of the Chesapeake whose color suggested dawn. The fax machine in the corner held several freshly printed pieces of paper. Weller crossed over and picked them up. Our warrants have come through, he said, scanning the material. Business, which includes downstairs and upstairs. Home, which means her place across the street. Sam was examining the elegant old desk that sat to the back of the space. High-quality antique with a smooth surface, glass over wood. A little heavy for the room. Nothing personal, no photos, mementos, or artwork. Just an engraved gold lighter. Not even a plant. Six workable drawers with brass handles and ornate facings down the side matched the panel across the top. The bottom drawer had a keyhole. JT has the only key, but, well, she's not here. Sam gave a reassuring smile. It's okay, Evan. We've got permission. I meant I'm not sure how you'll get in. I've got that covered. Sam took out her pocket knife and worked it into the metal keyhole. Within a minute, she popped the lock. Helpful skill set, Weller said. Inside, she found half a dozen files. She pulled one labeled Bird in Hand and found an insurance form that listed the carving's monetary value at $250,000. Sam had no idea if that represented fair market value. It seemed possible. She also found a sketch, apparently by Wallace Bonnet, that closely resembled the one they'd taken from Arlie's wall. You think there's a secret cubbyhole? Weller asked. That only happens in Victorian detective novels, Sam replied. It's a Victorian-era desk, if that helps, Evan piped up. Sam felt around the drawer with no expectation whatsoever she'd find a hidden switch. Even after she pushed a small metal button, she was startled when the top decorative panel popped open to reveal a narrow space. Lying flat inside was another file marked B-I-H. Sam laid the papers on the desk. Another insurance form, valuing the carving at $22 million. A page printed from an internet site on rare gemstones. Another on British and American antiquities. A card from an appraiser in Richmond, Virginia and a list with four names and dollar amounts ranging from 18 to $22 million next to each. The notes in the margin read, Emphasize rarity, compelling backstory, true value. Further down, someone had written a single word heavily circled, Treasure. Evan, if you don't mind, I'm going to... She was interrupted by the sound of a siren, so close she half expected to see a cop car crash through the opposite wall. Evan Carr looked as if he might keel over. It's my ringtone, Weller said. He turned away. Talk to me, Tyler, he told his caller. He listened for perhaps 15 seconds and said, Are you sure? Do they know? Tomorrow? It has to be tomorrow, Tyler. 
This changes everything. He disconnected and turned to Sam. Lieutenant, can I speak to you for a moment? Evan, excuse us. Weller looked at the assistant, then the door. For good measure, he inclined his head ever so slightly. Evan took the hint. I'll, I'll be just out here, he said. As soon as the door clicked shut, Weller grabbed Sam by the elbow and moved her to the opposite window. He spoke in a low voice. That was Tyler Kane. He called in a favor, got the lab to check the DNA from the card you gave him yesterday against a sample Lloyd got from the barbecued driver. Guess what? The samples don't match. Weller looked surprised. Way to kill the punchline, Tate. But yeah, bottom line is, our Vic is not Jackie Templeton. When did you know? Weller asked. He twisted in the seat to watch Sam, who was driving. They'd spent a fruitless hour tossing Jackie's top-floor condo. The pristine apartment looked like a set piece rather than a home. The place was modern, but not oppressively so. The few antiques hinted at the town's storied history without indulging in kitsch. The closets and dresser drawers were filled with good quality clothes. The refrigerator contained little. The king-sized bed looked comfortable. You might want to ease up on the gas, Lieutenant. The dead aren't going to get any deader. Weller's voice brought her back to the present. Sorry. She lifted her foot and unclenched her teeth for good measure. Back to the question. When did you figure out the body didn't belong to Jackie Templeton? I suspected something when Lloyd showed me the hair he'd recovered. She explained about the shaft Lloyd found on site. I asked him to pop it under a microscope before he sent it to the lab. Before Tyler got a hold of it, you mean. But he didn't have access to the DNA sample you turned over to my guy. I wasn't looking for DNA, Weller. I was looking for dye. What? Hair dye. Jackie Templeton was, maybe is, a beautiful woman, but her hair was colored. Under a microscope, a shaft of dyed hair looks smooth. Natural hair is comprised of little granules. Lloyd got back to me while you were talking with Kane. She held up her phone. Talk about serendipity, he replied. But how'd you know Ms. Templeton colored her hair? Not from personal experience. Sam didn't smile. Eh, in a way, yes. My mother is a natural ginger. I can see the difference. You know who else seems to have her own head of red hair? Amy Reed. Weller punched a number into his phone. Hit speaker. Since you're so tight with your fellow lab rats, he began without preamble. Can you get someone to pick up some DNA off a sample? Do you have the sample? Tyler Kane matched Weller's no-nonsense tone. I can drive it up to you within the hour. We're going to need this before the autopsy tomorrow. I assumed as much. I'll see what I can do. Thanks. See you soon. Sam cut her eyes to her partner. What did you take from her desk? The most obvious two things I could find. A mug she hadn't washed out, 
and a pencil she'd obviously chewed on. He held up two clear plastic bags, which begs the question. Only one? Sam asked. I can think of at least three. Is the victim Amy? If not, who is it? Who was the second person in the car? What happened to JT? That's four, Weller observed. I know. She dropped Weller at his car behind the office. They promised to check in with each other. We can't confirm ID or any other pertinent information about the Vic until tomorrow, he told her. I still think it makes sense to let Gordy and Pollock in on what's happening while they're in D.C. What do you think? Is Jackie Templeton a person of interest or a missing person? Makes a difference. Sam considered. I don't know what I think. We have to wait until tomorrow's autopsy gives us a definitive ID and whatever else they can be persuaded to give us. Then we have to notify next of kin. At that point, things are likely to go public. That means your boss and my boss are going to have to hold a press conference or at least release a statement. So we'd better pull together as much as we can about the elusive Ms. Templeton. So when you step up to the microphone, you'll have a lot to report. Me? You're the experienced Maryland State Police homicide detective leading these investigations. Sam softened the statement with a smile. Let's not forget one thing, Weller started his car. You're the hotshot sheriff who tracked down a serial killer, which is what we may be looking at, by the way. With a wave, he took off. Pat McCready was hunched at his desk, peering at his screen and making notes on a pad. Perfect marriage of old and new technology. He gnawed alternatively on his pen and on his lip. Sam felt a wave of affection coupled with pride. She stuck her hand in her pocket so she wouldn't reach out and pat his head. She cleared her throat. What have you got for me, deputy? Hey, lieutenant, he turned, flashing a good-natured grin. How was your trip to the gallery? Did you get any new leads? Sam and Weller had decided not to let anyone know what Tyler Kane had shared with them. The autopsy was tomorrow, and while the full results might not be available, an ID would be made. Not much that's useful. What did you find? It's what we didn't find that's interesting. I asked Shauna to help me. She's good with the deep dive research. Before you fill me in, I need to ask her for something. Meet me in my office in five minutes or so. She found Shauna, gave her the assignment, and retreated to her office with coffee and a breakfast bar. Exactly five minutes later, she heard a knock. The deputy and the IT specialist. The three of them had barely settled in before eager McCready began. I did some checking. Jackie Templeton is a stakeholder in Sylvan Crest, just like you thought. She invested in a company that bundled investors for full court press. Cost a lot to get in. We're talking seven figures, but all legal. Nothing shady about the builders either. Well-run, well-respected, firm lands a lot of state contracts. Even so, I passed the information to Detectives Gordy and Pollock. Thought they might decide to pay FCP a visit. Good thinking, Sam said. What else? Both her D.C. properties are on the market for a lot of money. 
some interest according to the real estate agent handling them, but no firm offers. Yet she bought two properties out here. How'd she leverage that? McCready looked down at his notes. She has two accounts at PNC Bank. It'll take some time to work through the official channels to see those. My mom knows the real estate agent out here who sold Miss Templeton both St. Michael's properties. Melinda Connolly. She says JT financed the building where she has the gallery. The other building, where JT has her condo, has some sort of historic designation. She got around that by agreeing to maintain parts of the original structure, especially below ground. There's even talk it could become a tourist attraction. McCready shrugged. And get this. She doesn't actually own that building. It was bought for cash by a company called Eastern Chesapeake Developers, which seems to be one guy, an Egyptian diplomat named Noor Asim. Interesting. I wasn't sure diplomats could buy property in the United States. Mortgages and loans are a problem, Melinda says, but cash is not. Send that information to Detective Gordy, will you? He'll know what to do from there. And Pat, good job, he beamed. Sam turned to the young woman. Shauna, go ahead. Shauna had been trying not to squirm in her seat. She pushed her hair out of her face and sat forward, iPad in hand. First, the quick background on Amy Reed you asked me to do. Born Skokie, Illinois, 25 years ago to Terrence and Eileen, both biology professors, different specialties. Amy chose a more artistic path. Accepted to MICA, graduated with honors. She's exhibited some of her work in Baltimore and sold one sculpture. She's got a Facebook page, not so active. An Instagram account, more going on there. And a couple of videos on TikTok, nothing since Saturday afternoon. Go on. Jackie Templeton is kind of interesting. She's been in D.C. for five and a half years. She moved from outside Philadelphia not long after her super wealthy and much, much older investor husband died. Well, once upon a time, super wealthy. She caught Sam's puzzled look. Yeah, I have a separate folder on him I can airdrop to you. Templeton is one of those Eastern Shore names that used to matter 150 years ago. Maybe that's why JT wanted to move back. Not too clear that all this money was made on the up and up. Well-connected in real life, but maybe wealthy only on paper, Sam stated. Well, I don't know about that. JT threw around some money when she came to D.C. She got herself noticed, including by our Mr. Asim. Noticed how? Depends on whether you read between the lines of the gossip columns. I found a picture taken at a party last year. The two of them looked fairly chummy. Then again, he's a super good-looking guy, if you like the type. A faint flush colored her pale cheeks. She's not too shabby herself, with all that red hair. Beautiful people always look like they're flirting. Not a bad observation. Sam said. Shauna blushed again, then continued. She's licensed as a real estate agent in both D.C. and Maryland, mostly rich clients. She bought a condo in Foggy Bottom and a rundown little retail place in Georgetown that she turned into a high-end art and antique establishment. 
doesn't seem to have done that well. How long was she married? Sam asked. Six years. Here's another fun discrepancy. Her marriage license says she was 33 when she got married, which would make her 44 now. Her driver's license says she's 46. Her passport puts her at 48. Sam took a sip of cold coffee. What's her birth certificate say? Shauna exchanged a conspiratorial look with McCready. That's the funny part. She doesn't seem to have one. At least not one that I can find. The marriage license identifies her as Jackie Lincoln from Canton, Ohio. I found someone with that name and social security number who lived there maybe a dozen years ago. And she died at the age of 94, right around the time our Jackie met her future husband. And there you have it. Don't forget, on Wednesday, we have episode two of They Came From Up by Richard Duvall. So I thought I'd take a different tack today. How about, don't even worry about the review. Just share it. Share the podcast on your social media. If you like it, put it out on Facebook. Put it out on Instagram. Put it out on LinkedIn. Share it on whatever social media platform you use the most. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on Wednesday.